confidence man, confidence man, doing the things a Sawyer can. <laughs> well, now that's going to be stuck in my head. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, brother. <laughs> this is a very special episode of Losing Lost because we have uh, come upon a, a rite of passage, I think, for most podcast recorders or really anybody working in the media. We lost this episode of Losing Lost, which is too bad because I remember I remember this being a really fun episode to talk about. But but which here we are. Which is why we're going to talk about it again. <laughs> so yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll try to remember all of the uh, enlightening things we had to say last time, and just get into it. This is the eighth episode of season one of Lost, entitled Confidence Man. It first aired on November tenth, two thousand four. It was directed by Tucker Gates and written by Damon Lindelof. By now, probably know this, but uh, my name is Derek Hobson. I am the younger brother. <laughs> my, and name is, and my name is Pierce Dagian. <laughs> I am the elder brother. And this is... Losing! God damn it! <laughs> we're going to get this right. We're going to get this right this time. All right. We... Here's how we're going to do it. Just one of us is going to say it. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're not going to mess it up. All right. (laughs) My name is Pierce Nahigian. I'm the elder brother. My name is Derek Hobson. I'm the younger brother. And? This. No, just say You just say the whole thing. (laughs) And this is Losing Lost. Okay. We did it. Right to the point. What did you think of this episode? I liked it. It was good. You know, I, I enjoy Sawyer. Josh Holloway really is coming into his own as the character. He's the guy no one likes, but everybody needs. He has his own kind of personal code that even he knows sucks, but he's going <laughs> to stick by it anyway. <laughs> what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I really like it. I didn't feel like I was wasting time rewatching it because. No. We don't have enough Josh Holloway in season one so far, partly because I love that he is cocksure and hilarious and feels like a go with the flow character. This episode adds this depth and so much sadness. It really, uh, because I'm thinking of episode titles, there's an episode title that's everybody hates Hugo. And I feel like that could have been the name of this one where it's like everybody hates Sawyer, including mm-hmm. Sawyer. Especially Sawyer. Yeah, like he, I was thinking about this in his flashbacks, but I'm like, is he, weirdly enough, he, despite being the puppeteer in this whole shebang between the guy who loans in the money, the wife who's cheating on her husband, and the husband, even though he's puppeteering, he's playing all sides. Mm-hmm. He is still the only good guy in his flashback. <laughs> like the guy in the in the billiard playing billiards with him is clearly a bad guy. The husband seems like a shady guy, although in fairness, much of that is just his personality and tone and attitude. Um, <laughs> but and the wife is, as far as her perspective goes, she's she's playing Sawyer as much as she's playing her husband. Like she she's a bad person. And, I don't uh, know. I think I think Sawyer has not necessarily that they're all bad people, but Sawyer lives in that gray 
area of society where he has no illusions about the price that people have. From an outsider's perspective, the most, like, teenage dream of a job. You get to bed down with sexy, desperate housewives and steal their husband's money, and it's great. And for Sawyer, it's really just a job. He he even implies that having sex with this woman for him is just like, ah, look, I know a couple tricks that I could do to make her have a good time, and really, I'm just here for the money. It doesn't, I don't really care. This is the thing he does, and we find out at the end of the episode that he just became the embodiment of avarice and deceit, and it almost happened by accident, but he has resigned himself to being this villain. Yeah, well, and that's why I do think it's neat, too, that he and Saeed have that parallel, not just in, like, symbolically but like they give it to you literally when Sawyer's like you've never tortured anybody and say it's like unfortunately for us both you're wrong yeah, um yeah it's so good but like yeah like Saeed hates being Saeed Sawyer hates being Sawyer uh, <laughs> so it's neat that they are the um uh, let's go back to Locke's metaphor with um backgammon you've got you got the light and dark I don't know it felt a little like that of like that realization of he gets so caught up in these ways that he doesn't realize until maybe the moment that we're seeing in the flashback that's like, oh, not only was I pretending to be Sawyer to find Sawyer, but I, I have become Sawyer. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also interesting that he, of all the people on the island, well, with the exception of Locke, but Locke is doing a different, whole different thing altogether, he really adapted to everybody's going to need stuff. And I can get the stuff. Sawyer understands society enough to know they're going to need a guy and he's going to yeah. be that guy. I will say, I think it's a, a far more poignant moment than I think even the show focuses on when at the end of his flashback, he leaves the money. I mean, I'm sure part of it is he's so disgusted with himself for being Sawyer. The fact that he leaves the money that the other guy loaned him, it's like, dude, you're putting your life on the line here. So if you're a con man and people know you're a con man, why wouldn't you want to just stay on the island? But Sawyer is similar to Saeed, is, is one of the biggest advocates of getting off the island. It's like, why, why would you return to a place that is probably there are act, people actively looking to find you and kill you? Well, so... He doesn't actually, I mean, he wants to get off the island for the same reason everybody wants to get off the island, which is it's not their home. The island is a weird, dangerous place where weird, dangerous stuff happens. That's why he wants to get off. But once he is left on the island um, at the end of season four, he establishes a, a really solid life there. He, um, when they come back, he tells, I think he tells Jack that, like, we've got a good life here. Like, I don't want to leave. Like, I have a life with Juliet. I have a job. I know that all these Dharma people are going to be killed, but we'll be gone before then. Sawyer's arc in the series is really fun because he's one of the few characters, I think, that who makes a mature decision to say, I don't want to do all these kooky adventures. I just want to be a security guard in Dharmaville and hang out with my significant other. 
Yeah, and I do love that story for for yeah, and it's like yeah, you don't get that ever. I, I'm just I think the only other like long-standing serial. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other show where basically like in the same way that I know in like the final final episode of the whole show, uh, Rosa Bernard say we're retired, mm-hmm. like. For Sawyer basically retires. Uh, he tries and, to. Or, yeah. And they keep pulling him back in. Yeah. But, it, does, it does not go well. Yeah. But I, I do like that idea that it's like, we could try and find out what the purpose is. We could try and find out the other, try and find our people or just make a life. And it does. What's funny is thinking way, way, way down the road to when Jacob is telling our main cast that they were all brought to the island as possible replacements. You think about, okay, Jack makes sense. Hurley makes sense. Said kind of makes sense. What is Sawyer doing here? What thing that happened in Sawyer's past made you no. think that this is the guy to take I, over duties on the island? I think this episode is indicative of that with all the things that you said, like the, the idea that he knows that He's a bottom feeder or a bottom gatherer, a bottom hunter, or whatever. You know, he's, he's a, after your bottom. Yeah, but like his whole flashback in this episode is very much like, yeah, people are sharks. They'll eat each other. You know, he's like, people are crap. And even though I know this, even though I embody this, I have a heart and soul in there. Okay, you you know, I yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. But what about Charlie? Right. <laughs> yeah, what is Charlie's? <laughs> what is Charlie? Well, he believes in God, and he meant well. Can you imagine if Charlie became the new Jacob, and any time someone crashed on the island, he just shows up with a guitar, just going, "You all, everybody!" Well, yeah, that's a good point too, because in his <laughs> greatest hits, he he saved that one woman that one time, and he thought of that as one of the greatest things he ever did. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, imagine if he had a role where he could save everybody all the time. Hmm. You know, maybe there's something to, I don't know. Okay, we can talk (laughs) about the episode. All right. We begin, (laughs) not with an eye, but with Kate lugging some bananas across the beach. I looked this up because I was curious. And we know that bananas are indigenous to India, Southeast Asia, and Northern Australia. So knowing that they are somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, that is actually within the realm of possibility that there would be bananas on this crazy island. Kate sees Sawyer's book, Watership Down, and then we are treated to a vision of the beautiful Sawyer coming out of the water naked. That big, hunky, hunk of man. Cheeky smile. With a cheeky smile. dimples. He creeps out Kate. Kate says she he knows how to make a woman feel special. We get our first flashback of Sawyer in bed with a lady. He is, quote-unquote, late for a meeting. His briefcase opens, and money spills out. And he tells her, you weren't supposed to see that, but she was supposed to see that because he's running a con job. <laughs> I still love this as a flashback. I love that Sawyer looks like a dime store novel romance cover. Mm-hmm. And it seems so freaking genuine. He's a very good actor. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not talking about Josh Hawley. I'm talking about Sawyer as the yes. con man is up until 
he gives that little smile at the end of the scene where he's talking to the couple in the restaurant. Yeah. He really can believe that, well, maybe, maybe all this is genuine. Maybe the con comes later. Maybe he's not a con man yet. He really sells it to where the way that he behaves with her, the way that he behaves with the husband, that he's really genuine. And the fact that he is able to put on that that genuineness with other people makes him dangerous. He is a way more believable criminal than Kate is because Kate always feels like she, seems like she feels super bad about what she's doing. Sawyer can just slide through people's lives. What I love about that first flashback is how he doesn't play it as, oh, shoot, I'm late. He mm-hmm. waits for her to kick him out. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, oh, baby, you got you got that knee. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Wasn't it at 3.30? Yeah, but that's not for a few hours. Oh, my God. And then, you know, knowing, having seen the full episode, you recognize it's like, oh, this is all part of it. But at the time, it, it genuinely seems like, wow, he's so into this girl that, like, he put everything on hold. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, exactly what she was hoping a, a lesser show or or a lesser movie would have him play it up. It's one of those infuriating things where you see in in movies and TV where the bad guy is deceiving the protagonist or deceiving some random person, and it's always so clear to anybody watching. It's like, well, this guy is obviously lying. He's obviously a bad guy. Why does nobody get this? It's like yeah. like Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, where in the book. The way that he's, he plays it is that he's just this guy, he's this random lord who doesn't have much property, and he's got a few weird connections, but, you know, he's he can help when he needs to. And then you get the reveal that actually he's a slime bag, and he's been manipulating everyone. Whereas in the TV show, from the first moment that he shows up, he's like, Ooh, I, uh, it's just like, it's like, who is trusting this person? This is so stupid. But yeah, a lesser show would have soldiers be like, oh, I have to go to a meeting. Oh, all of this money fell out of my briefcase. And Lost isn't like that. They gave him the direction of like, no, really be this guy. Embody this guy. You are a good con man. Show us what that looks like. Yeah. Well, like it even, you know, I'm sure they didn't do this at this point because it was so early. But like, it really feels like you could have given him they could have filmed this scene in a vacuum. Like if they didn't tell him where it's going, if you were watching this show, if this was the first episode you saw, I feel like you could make the assumption we're about to see what has made him become a slime bag on the mm-hmm. Island. And I, I love that. I really, really do. I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's uh, but yeah, like you said, it's a big problem with TV where, yeah, you get these guys. that's like me, just me. I'm just really, Uh, Sawyer is with with clothes on uh, is tromping through the jungle he hears the rustling and he runs towards it it's not a polar bear it's not a pissed off giraffe it's Boone going through his stash we cut to Jack treating Saeed for the head wound that he got last episode we learn that whatever attacked him also destroyed his equipment his triangulating equipment Saeed says He'll do what he needs to do to find whoever did that. A threat that he will preemptively carry out uh, against Sawyer, in case he was the one who did it. We see Shannon come to Jack with a bloody boon. 
Boone says Sawyer attacked him. Jack gives Saeed a knowing look. Or rather, they exchange a look that says, oh, Sawyer's not a good guy. Maybe he's the one who did this. I really like this as a, uh, in a non-obnoxious way, they really give you enough details to make it a logical conclusion mm-hmm. <laughs> that what is happening is a result of Sawyer. Because I do like that, yeah, just even like that parallel when Boone is caught like a deer in headlights for fucking around and finding out. Um, <laughs> and it cuts to Jack saying, uh, this is going to hurt as he's treating Saeed. Oh, yeah. Saeed has been attacked. Then we see that Boone has been attacked. It's giving you enough to be like, man, Sawyer's just beating the shit out of everybody. And it like it doesn't seem unreasonable to accuse this guy of doing this thing. It is very much like the show wants to be like, look, in an island without law and order, there's enough evidence here based on him having Boone's book, based on Saeed being attacked, based on Boone being attacked. This is a bad guy. It's likely he did this. Because he doesn't want to give up his seat of power on the island, having having all this stuff that people have to come to him for. Yeah, and it's like, it's, oh man, I just, it's so, so well done. We get uh, Charlie delivering water to Claire. He kind of tries to get her to go to the caves, but she says she likes the beach and she wants to be there for when they get rescued. We have Boone telling Jack that Shannon has asthma. He put her inhaler refills in his bag because she always forgets. And he says that the Watership Down book is his. Ergo, Sawyer has his luggage and the refills. And Jack looks pissed. Because we know that as much as Jack loves the caves, he hates injustice. <laughs> we have, uh, we cut to Sawyer reading his letter on the beach for the umpteenth time. You know what, Jack- sorry, just, this makes me think that Jack would be like a prime candidate for scream therapy. Oh, yeah. Because it, it does really Any seem therapy like, really well, would, <laughs> he would benefit from. But I just mean, like, it really does seem like beating the shit out of Sawyer as it eventually gets to his therapeutic form. We, well, we've established that Jack hates bullies. More than anyone else on the island, Sawyer pushes Jack's buttons. It seems to be that he doesn't feel that Sawyer is a positive force on the island. I think that he, Jack, tries to help people, and he tries to get everybody to work together, and he... Sawyer hates Jack because Jack gives off this aura of being too pure, and Jack hates Sawyer because Sawyer just gives in to the darkness. It's funny that Sawyer will always know how to get under Jack's skin because Jack is just like that. He won't take the 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 insults or the ribbing lying down. He wants Sawyer to be put in his place. But you can do whatever you want to Sawyer because Sawyer is just the lowest of the low. He accepts it, and he's just like... Yeah, I know you don't like me. I thrive on it. I love it. I drink it up. <laughs> I don't even get the impression, at least at the moment, that Sawyer hates Jack. I really do think this episode embodies a very Batman-Joker uh, relationship between the two. <laughs> There's a certain amount of respect that comes in the upcoming scene when Jack is going through Sawyer's stuff. And Sawyer's just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> Instead of, like, when Boone did this, you beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. But with Jack, he's just like, what are you doing, Doc? I'm, 
I have no qualm with you. <laughs> and then, of course, when Jack is very much like, I want to fight. I want to beat your face in. And, you know, uh, Sawyer Joker is just kind of being like, all right, if you will do him, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but then uh, later as he does like that, well, I'll get to it when we get to it later. But I, I think there's a real Joker-Batman dynamic here where the end of uh, Chris Nolan's Dark Knight, when he's like, you know, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and yeah. like, well, oh, people are good. And he's <laughs> like, I'm not going to kill you because you're just too much fun. Uh, and well, it's also that Sawyer understands how things work on the island. He knows that if he gets in a fight with Jack, not only will people be mad at him, but then they will be down the only doctor on the island. Whereas Boone is useless. And Sawyer knows, yes, I can punch this one. I can beat this one up. I can't do that freely to the dock. And I guess the other thing, too, is that technically it is very different where Jack goes up to Sawyer rummaging through his stuff, whereas mm-hmm. Boone very much, as Sawyer later says, was a thief. But I also do think that uh, Sawyer kind of treats Jack as like, it's, it's sort of like the... Um, like again, like even though none of these people are in a relationship, he very much knows it's like Jack is like Kate's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to beat up the girl I like's boyfriend because that reflects poorly on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. So Sawyer reading his letter on the beach. Jack is angrily going through his stuff. He demands Shannon's medicine. Doesn't ask. Very important point here. Doesn't ask. Demands. He tells Sawyer to get up, and Sawyer has one of my favorite Sawyer lines, which is, why, Doc, you want to see who's taller? <laughs> Jack really wants to fight Sawyer, and they might get into it before Kate interrupts. We get our next flashback. Sawyer is giving his investment spiel to Jessica. Uh, he says he has $140,000. She tells him she'll get the money from her husband. $140,000 isn't an ARC number, but the missing 160000 is. So four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, hundred sixty thousand. Just interesting. Back on the island, Kate says killing Sawyer won't get him the medicine. And Jack also has a great line where he says it'll make him feel good. The reason Jack <laughs> doesn't kill Sawyer is because they're not savages yet. Kate says she'll talk to Sawyer because he thinks they have a connection. Jack asks if they do. And his tone is a mixture of bemused and worried. Just like yeah. Matthew Fox is acting, man. I just like because he is so hot, so bothered, and mm-hmm. it's just like, and she's like, he says we have a connection. Even just the way, if anyone else were to say that, you would be like, oh, I see, you're gonna play that up. But instead, Jack is like, yeah, do you? Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just very much like, come again. It goes back to that Kate isn't like anyone Jack has known, and. Rewatching these episodes, I get the sense that Jack is as attracted to Kate as he is afraid of her. I think there's something about Kate that he understands that he can't know. That as much as that's, I think that's why he's always trying to get more information out of her because he's just like, what is Kate? I might have mentioned this before. Someone in college once told me this thing that maybe is preached to every Christian child. Um, But it was the first time I heard it in college when she said that boys 
pursue girls who they can either corrupt or purify. I don't like that. No, it's, uh, it's you know, when, then when you really get into your own personal dating history, you're like, please tell me that's not accurate. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, I think some of these things are archetypal. But given what we know, if we flash forward and think about the types of relationships that Jack has gotten into, even the Thailand lady who he's trying to save, maybe it's unclear. Um <laughs> The, the woman who he makes walk again, he saved her. You know, if you look at like his roster of like, oh, I can save people from being hurt. I can save people mm -hmm. from corruption. And it does seem like he's like, can I save Kate or is she, is she corrupting me? Uh, like, <laughs> that's a really good point. I think there's, that's definitely a factor. That's totally, that's totally in there. Cause she did make him kill the marshal. Kind of. <laughs> You're really hung up on that. I, I, I'm realizing like how fucked up that was, <laughs> but no, I, I think you're right. I will also say too, while we're here, God, I'm sorry. I'm just going to drag this episode out because I don't have a deadline and because <laughs> we've talked about this before and I want to talk about different things. <laughs> uh, so ever since, well, I guess now in a future podcast episode, as you'll hear, Pierce has this idea that Kate would have been so much better as sheriff. And I, I guess you mentioned it in earlier episodes, too, that, like, why isn't that her role? And this episode, whoever uh, – I know you said their names, but the writers of this one really do make Kate like a detective. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's David Lindelof. I think that's that's worth noting. That's interesting. Because, yeah, like, I mean, I, I'll try and reserve the spoiler – well, no, okay, whatever. At the end, she determines that, like, oh, hey, you wrote this letter to yourself. You were just a kid. She also deduces that Sawyer's not her name. And even just like the way that this interaction that we're talking about right now between Jack and Sawyer plays out, where Kate's the one that steps in, I think I always read that as, uh, oh, we're both into this girl. We don't want to be caught like we're being fighting and whatnot. But instead, it actually kind of plays out like two guys who are about to get into a public fight, and then a cop walks up and goes, what's the problem, fellas? And it's like, nothing. I, I wasn't doing it. Were you doing nothing? I was just, I was just talking. And even like her, like kind of going undercover, like, yeah, it's, it's all very like, wow, she's very detective like in this episode. You know what it reminds uh, me of? And I know that I always bring this back to Star Trek and I'm sorry. <laughs> We've either talked about it in an episode previous or in an episode hence from this one. But um, my problem with Kate is that she's portrayed as this manipulator, as this criminal. But the way that she always ends up playing it or the way that she's forced to play it is that she always feels bad she's always sad she always ends up in these criminal situations against her own will whereas we talked about how it would be so much more interesting if kate leaned more into the criminal element of it if we showed that she was a good person but she has been in this criminal life long enough that like she is not against using her skills to get her way and you mentioning that she's a detective in this episode and that in certain episodes she shows those skills and in certain episodes she just seems to be lost and just sad is a lot like in Deep Space Nine. There's a character named Jadzia Dax who's played by the actress Terry Farrell, at least in the first few seasons. Her character is an amalgam of a symbiotic creature that has lived several past lifetimes in other hosts. 
and this person named Jadzia. And in episodes that don't star her, they play up that aspect of it, that she's this person who's had many different lifetimes and she's smart and she's capable and she doesn't even necessarily identify as a woman. She identifies as an entity, really. And that was always really interesting when she was just like a supporting character. But then whenever she was a main character in an episode, it was like they threw all of that stuff out the window and she's just a lady who sometimes does science. And it was so weird, like seeing that very different characterization, like based on how much she was featured in the episode. And it always bothered me because it's such a cool character and it was never utilized properly. What that sounds like to me is um, I, I was a big fan of the Looney Tunes mm-hmm. and I adored Daffy Duck in all of his solo stuff because he is Daffy. He's, he's, a, he's just a, a lovable, goofy, crazy character. Mm-hmm. Whenever, and I don't know if this is a mixture of different writers, uh, I suspect it has less to do with that and more to do with wanting to have a unique dynamic on screen. But whenever he and Bugs Bunny are in the same cartoon, mm-hmm. he just becomes the hot-headed... He's the bird. straight man. Yeah. And, That's, and, yeah. Because they, they both are wild cards when they're on their own, and you're not going to have Daffy Duck, or you're not going to have Bugs Bunny play second fiddle to Daffy Duck. So one of them has to just become more the straight man. Yeah, and I, I always, always hated it, because mm-hmm. I'm like... I would be so excited for a Daffy Duck, but like even if Bugs Bunny wasn't in the first frame, which obviously he was, because you know they yeah put Bugs on a pedestal, but it was like oh shoot, this is gonna be a it's gonna be a lame Daffy Duck episode, a lame Daffy Duck. <laughs> anyway, Kate goes to Sawyer. He claims he'll trade the medicine for a kiss. Kate says she doesn't buy his act. She tells him she's seen him reading the letter he keeps in his pocket. He rejects her opinion that he has humanity and forces her to read the letter aloud. And she is visibly shaken. This really upsets her. As it should. It's an upsetting letter. (laughs) Uh, We have Saeed questioning Locke, who claims to have been skinning a boar. Locke suggests that Sawyer is to blame. He tells Saeed he could improvise a slow fuse with a cigarette and then gives him a knife. And Locke is so dead set on Sawyer's guilt that Saeed should be more suspicious. The only reason he's not, that he believably could be overlooking this, is that everybody's so pissed at Sawyer, Saeed included, that they'll take any ammunition they can get to say Sawyer's the bad guy. But you've mentioned this, I think, in a either previous or episode we've done in the future, that Locke's ability to manipulate people even when he's doing it for the greater good or seems to be doing it for the greater good is pretty sinister. Locke knows full well that, I mean, he gives Saeed a knife. He knows that the things that he's saying to Saeed could at the very least result in Sawyer getting hurt at the very worst, maybe dead. And Locke has seemingly decided that he's not just trying to push blame away from himself. He is saying I don't need Sawyer in my plan for this island. Yeah. No, he, I, uh, this, um, all right, sorry. Full disclosure for the audience. We're re-recording this after we just recorded the Boone episode of Hearts and Minds. Yeah, that's it. 
And in that episode, I, I remember specifically talking about how it is, he is damn right diabolical. Mm-hmm. Just not only in how he manipulates all the people around him, but also when he's like, hey, Boone, what'd you see? And Boone's like, I saw, I saw my sister dead. And he's like, oh, good, good. <laughs> um, and uh, simultaneously, I've just recently re-listened to our White Rabbit episode where Locke says, hey, this island is beautiful on the same day that someone has drowned. And this is, Locke is starting shit. He, <laughs> he knows that Sawyer, or he knows that Saeed is smart enough to see through some of this. Was, I mean, Saeed is right on the money going to Locke first and being like, where the fuck were you? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's like, there's only one person who's going to sneak up on me from behind. Locke, very cleverly, as I'm sure this probably works in interrogations, he gives him little dialogue samples of the truth or that could apply to multiple people. Because one of the first things he says is, well, maybe whoever hit you is someone who is benefiting from our time on this island. And it's like, yeah, you could look at that and be like, he's talking about Sawyer. Or you could not see through that lie because that's absolutely Locke. He's describing himself. Um, what's What's crazy about this is that I liked Locke so much as a character that really up until that last episode, the Hearts and Minds episode, I was looking at this as like, you know what, Locke's doing some shady shit, but it's all for the greater good because Locke's a good guy. And coming to this with fresh eyes, Locke does not come out looking good uh, from any of this. Like, he, you are right, he's starting shit. Even just giving Saeed the knife is just such mm-hmm. a, like, you want him to do this. That's the craziest part to me, that he just gives him a knife. Like, I know that Locke has more knives. That's fine. But it it is all but telling Saeed, we don't need Sawyer on this island. Get rid of him. It does make me wonder a little bit. Because it obviously, we know from the little snippets that we get here and there from different characters that they had some rumblings of what their backstory is. Like, I, I forget if it was this episode, a previous one, or one upcoming where we learned that, you know, Walt's dad michael is not his he may be his biological dad but he's certainly not the dad who raised him and you know we get this idea of like okay we can start to kind of understand what the relationship here is we know that son learned english therefore we can piece together even before seeing her episode that hey these two have an unhappy marriage Locke has so much of his biological father in him Mm -hmm. because i even like how in sawyer's flashback he gives the husband the money. He's like, oh, guys, they got to smell it. They got to hold on to it, feel it. Think that if they just like went a little bit further, they could run off with it. And like, yeah, Locke giving Saeed a knife is kind of like, yeah, Sawyer giving the guy the money. Like, here, here's evidence of my innocence is I'll let you take this. I'm not a schemer. I'm not. A that comic. is such a good parallel that I'm angry. I have to give Damon Lindelof credit for that. <laughs> Well, that's, that's why, I hadn't but, even thought about that. That's great. But I, I don't know if they knew that Locke and Sawyer have the connection they do. No, no way. Well, but because when do we find out that he loses a kidney? Is that season one? No, it is season one. It's got to be. I want to say. I mean, there are a lot of episodes left. I, I will be shocked if we find out in this season that Locke's father is Sawyer. Because that feels like something that they tie together later on. Well, I know they they don't explicitly say it, but I'm fairly confident I remember 
the next Locke-centric episode of season one is when Boone dies. And, you know, he's like, why would you do this? And it's like playing <laughs> at the same time that he like is in his VW bug and like punches the rearview mirror. I want to say that's what happens. And it's dad stole his kidney. So if they at least had enough idea that it's like Locke's dad was a con man and Sawyer was conned by a con. You know, I, I think we're both in the same boat. They made the whole thing up as they went along. I get it. But we know enough about how shows are made that it's like, it's not as though every episode they shot, made, and then went back and were like, okay, what are we going to do this week? You know, it's like, <laughs> and there's enough of these nuggets of a connection. I guess even part of that is, comes from the whole, like, everyone was in Australia. I wonder what was going on there. I wonder if they did at least have that in mind. It's not out of the question. I'm sure there's stuff that they worked out ahead of time that they were holding like in a back pocket. Famously, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof said that they knew what the last scene of the show would be for, for years. Uh, and that it was in a locked box and that, you know, they would take it out and show somebody and be like, yeah, that's the end of the thing. But things change. It is my pretty firm opinion that most of the first season was written by the seat of their pants. And then the entire rest of the show was them trying to, answer every dangling plot thread that they brought up in the first season <laughs> and outsmart their audience yeah in, in the process yeah but They're i think smarter than an internet collective because like if you look at the interviews that lindelof and cues gave when the show was ending and then the interviews that they gave like a decade later they're so different because at yeah. the end of it they're always just like we told the best story that we could and we really stand behind all of our things and everything had an answer and we, we knew what we were doing. And then like 10 years later, Lindelof is like, yeah, I get that some people didn't really like the ending and yeah, we were making a lot of it up at the time. Look, we had constraints. It was the thing like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, one of the most, I was going to say haunting. Um, one of the most interesting pieces I read was how he, I think Damon Lindelof was mentioning that he thinks the show just came out at the apex of social media mm -hmm. where he's like, yeah, I mean, we would have gone ahead with our ideas, but then we saw all these other ideas and said, wait a minute, we might have something here. Yeah. There was, and there was so much stuff too, like across so many different platforms, like the video game and all these online games and all of this clue stuff and everything just, it, it the more the hype around the show built, the more crazy side stuff they did. Like they did stuff that like I've never seen for shows before. Like those law, those like mini episodes, like the one minute episodes that they put out. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forget they were called, but they were, they had like a name for them, like lost episodes or cap capsule episodes or something. Yeah. And it's literally like, like one of them is just Vincent finds Jack's dad in the jungle and he goes, go find my son. And then he just stands there as a juggle and goes, and so it begins. And it's like, are you serious? What the hell is this? It's so stupid. It's so up its own ass that it's, ugh. Everything is so suspect because I feel they're in that weird spot where you're in a place where you either have to acknowledge, yes, it was all planned, or no, none of it was planned. The minute that you start saying, well, this was planned, this wasn't, this was planned, this was, like, that's when people are like, you're full of shit. <laughs> and um, I get the impression a little bit that that's 
where they're at. And that's why, again, like I do now that I'm thinking about it, I think the Lock Sawyer connection feels like that might have been planned. And so I, I'm, I'm very curious to see if there's any indication in season one, season two, because technically I think they make that full reveal. No, no, no. You know what? It was at least early enough where I remember season two, there was a special feature on the DVD box set where they were showing how certain characters connect. And we saw that there was like a shrouded figure that connected Locke and Sawyer. And then obviously in season three, they finally pay that off. So that's why I'm fairly confident it was the season two box set and not Hmm. season one. Anyway, I'm babbling. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) In the caves, Shannon is struggling to breathe. Jack goes and demands the inhalers from Sawyer. Once again, demands, does not ask. He punches him, which messes up his shoulder, which is a nice nod to last week's episode when it was dislocated in the in the caves. He punches him a second time. Sawyer goads him for more without fighting back. And then Jack sees that he's just scaring people. This is a very Joker moment. <laughs> very, yeah. uh, I want you to do it. I want you to hit me. Hit me. Well, because Sawyer knows... Him punching back at Jack doesn't do anything. It just makes Jack look like he's defending himself. He loves putting Jack in the position to look weaker or stupid or violent. And Sawyer is so much better at manipulating Jack that it's uh, it's unfair. <laughs> it's like playing a trick on a dog or something. It's just Jack's never going to be able to understand people as well as Sawyer does because that is they're just fundamentally different kinds of people. <laughs> We get our next flashback. Sawyer is talking over the investment details with Jess and her husband. We find out that he knows her from working at the auto dealership. I feel like Sawyer would be a great car salesman. You know, I know this is something that we talked about when we recorded and how, uh, and I know this will come up again in, in the fourth flashback, but how the guy who Sawyer got the money from makes a comment that he gave Sawyer 160 but we know he has 140. And this actually did make me wonder, like, is Sawyer paying people to take cars as part of the con so that it's like, oh, he's a great car salesman, when really he's like, I'm going to give you a discount and I'm going to give you $5,000 to drive this off the lot. Right now. <laughs> like, you know what? Um, I like that idea, but I'm also just realizing that Sawyer might be lying to the husband that they work together as a cover for how they know each other. Cause he wouldn't just say oh. I'm sleeping with your wife. I didn't, I don't think I thought about that the first time. we recorded. Oh this. my God. No, you're absolutely right. Cause that I think is a, that, like he, he got into the auto yeah. dealership like as a cover, but then I'm like, well then how would he know to work at the auto dealership? Like, did he scope her out beforehand? I was like, no, he targeted her and they've just, and he found a way to sleep with her. And he probably tells her he's like an investor or something like that. And they're oh like, the lies just keep going. Just keep oh going. Oh my god. All built on that is I never pieced that yeah, I thought he worked at an auto dealership and you're totally right. Yeah, he uh I uh I also we glossed over this by still him describing this oil rig deal where the state pays out three times mm-hmm. what you put into it, they really make you think like, Oh, Sawyer's not a smart guy, he's an idiot. And this is the story of how he becomes so jaded. Because <laughs> like it really sounds like someone talking about a Ponzi scheme where it's like, oh, no, 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 you put your money in and, and you get all this money back. And it's like, dude, you don't be- tell me you don't believe this. The plan is just complicated enough to sound legit, but also 
doesn't make sense. And <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I still like, I don't understand how investments work really. But yeah, I, I'm like, no, no, no. At the very least, there'd be a, uh, like, yeah, never mind. Anyway, continue. <laughs> the husband, David, owns a lumber yard. And just my last note here is what we've already talked about, that Sawyer plays his role really well. He never winks to the camera. And until we get that smile at the end of the restaurant scene, this feels like it could be legit. Maybe this is actually an investment that he's trying to pull off. But he is yeah. not. He's a con man. On the beach, Claire tells Charlie what she misses. Uh, she says she's the only Australian who loves peanut butter. I did look this up. And from a cursory search on the internet, it looks like the stereotype is that Aussies think PB&J is a gross combo. It's not necessarily that they don't like peanut butter, but that they think the taste combination of peanut butter and jelly is weird. Do they Aussies. do something like mustard and peanut butter, or, or is it just... <laughs> I don't know. If we have any Australian listeners to this podcast, uh, write in. I don't know where you'd write in. I'll have to figure out a place for people to write in. And let us know, is this uh, accurate? And uh, are you eating mustard and jelly sandwiches? Honestly, I it's not the weirdest thing I've heard about Australia. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Charlie says he can get her peanut butter. And if he gets it for her, then he says that Claire has to come to the caves. And she accepts the deal. This is cute. I have a I have a note at the top of this page that just says, everyone is really sweaty in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, so Jack's in the cave with Shannon, and Jack does a very good job with Shannon. His bedside manner is in top form. I, I wrote down, how would Jack from the first three episodes handle this? Would he yell at her and tell her to just breathe, stupid? Hurley <laughs> says Jack handling her was like a Jedi moment. Saeed tells him that they have to make Sawyer give the medicine to them. He says that he served five years in the Republican Guard. And for those listeners who don't know or were too young to remember the first Iraq war, the Republican Guard were the boogeymen of that first Gulf War. It was um, it was always like, you know, the American troops like steamrolled into the country. But it was, you know, Saddam Hussein was holding back like the Republican Guard. I remember asking you about this. I thought you told me it's like similar to like the Green Beret. Of, was, um... Yeah, I, I, I don't recall if if they ever lived up to, to the hype, but um. It's an interesting callback to an era that is now many decades in the past. You know, this wouldn't have been he, five years in the Republican Guard means that he was, you know, a part of the 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 Gulf War. Two real quick things about this, these two scenes back to back. One is I do love <laughs> Boone, par for the course for Boone. It's like as Jack is saying, like, hey, you don't need your inhaler. You can breathe on your own. Boone's like, she needs her inhaler. He's like, boom. <laughs> this is not how you calm someone down maybe we need to put a hole in her throat yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i so i love that the early episodes jack is still still alive and well and he's just like i let me handle this situation <laughs> i also i because i know we talked about this when we recorded the first time this scene with jack and saeed is either brilliant foreshadowing or even more brilliant retconning <laughs> he says he was a communications officer, which meant getting the people to communicate, which again, don't know whether that was planned or not. But I actually have, I think, more respect if it was a retcon. Yeah, it's such a good turn. If it's a retcon, it's like, okay, that's actually pretty clever. I like that. And if it was planned from the beginning, bravo. Either way is good. 
Well, and the one thing that I brought up, though, from the last time we talked about this was I'm curious if this is contradicted by a later episode that shows him learning to torture from the Americans, specifically the Clancy Brown character. Because the way that I remember the episode, maybe I'm misremembering it, is that he's captured by the Americans or he ends up working with the Americans somehow. And Clancy Brown basically says, like, you need to get information out of this guy because he has, like, it's like chemical weapons or something terrible that, like, some some reason that would convince Saeed that he had to torture his own countrymen. And Clancy Brown basically like, gives him, like, a like a literal toolbox. And then when they leave, he's like, you'll use these skills to do something. And it's like, wait, so did this come before he was an actual torturer? Like, what what's the situation here? Yeah, I'm realizing with some rare exceptions, there's a couple of characters whose flashbacks I have always struggled to piece the timeline of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm realizing that Saeed is one of them because... Yeah, especially now re-recording this one after seeing Solitary. Yeah, he's clearly a torturer at that point. But yeah, I I know the episode you're talking about. And I'm trying to think, because clearly he was in the military in some capacity. It's like, well, then when was he? It's one of those fascinating things about Lost. For like, for the most part, I can piece when the people's past. Like, I mean, I think that's why it's so brilliant to to give like Jack a marriage as like an anchor of like, this is Jack pre-marriage. This is Jack mm-hmm. after this is Jack yeah. during, like, you know, like it helps you navigate it. Whereas, you know, someone crappy, like Kate, it's like, it's all after. Um, <laughs> uh, but Saeed is one of those ones where, and maybe this is because it is like war and it, it's all kind of blurry and maybe that's intentional, but I do have a tough time figuring out where, because it seems like that does make, I remember what you're talking about. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but it also, since we've seen Solitary and they're like, hey, you're getting promoted to do this thing that you clearly don't really have a problem doing. It's, I'll be curious if we get more context once we get to that one. That Clancy Brown character too, he shows up in two episodes. He shows up in that Saeed episode and then he shows up, he's the one who's in the hatch before Desmond is in the hatch. And he's the one who tells Desmond that the that the island is like the outside is like poisoned. They have to wear like hazmat suits when they're out there. But then we find out that was a lie. And then Desmond like I guess he kills him by accident, and then his body disappears. And I always expected Clancy Brown to come back in some capacity, and he never does. It's just a it's this weird character that has this connection to these two guys, and it's just it's just there. And we're not gonna get to that till you know way down the line. So. I would be interested to read up on it. Cause I know like, especially some of these side characters, such as like the guy who plays Kimi sounds like he had a lot to say and had a great time. Uh, <laughs> and also like he, I remember there was like a moment where he divulged more of the plan because he did have before the writer's strike, like an outline or something of what his characters, his character centric story was going to be. I would be interested to find out who those actors like John Terry. I would love to read up on like, Hey, how'd you feel about Lost? And because he's so good, he's so yeah. good. And speaking of Terry's, I, I neglected this, but since you know, I'm always giving Matthew Fox, and in this case, Josh Holloway, props for their acting. I was gonna say Terry O'Quinn. I always viewed him as this religious holier-than-thou character on every rewatch I did up until this one, where I really am seeing him as this agent of evil. Um, <laughs> and 
I think that that's a credit to Terry O'Quinn because it's almost like, yeah, you want to believe in him. But when you look at it objectively, it's like, no, I think that he's a bad guy, but he's he's playing it in a way where it's like, you don't think he's a bad guy. You think that he's he's figured life out. I'm not sold on him being a bad guy, but he is very much a zealot. He is someone who believes wholeheartedly that the island has a purpose and that he is an instrument of that purpose. He's a true believer in this thing that he has basically made up that gives him in his mind permission to do what needs to be done. I know that in effect that makes him a bad guy, but I don't, (laughs) I, I can't, bring myself to classify him he is doing bad things i'm definitely i'm I'm definitely with you on that and again something we talk about a lot which is you know i don't think we ever get to see Locke as this competent ever again not after season one after that he seems very lost he seems unsure he starts crying a lot and um dies and dies (laughs) all right Jack gives Saeed permission to torture Sawyer. Sorry, I'm smiling as I'm saying this. Charlie asks Hurley if he has any food. Hurley is insulted at the implication. Charlie says they've been on the island for two weeks, and Hurley says he's gone down a notch on his belt and gives a great line, uh, something that I think is is totally fair. He says, I'm a big guy. It's going to be a while before you want to give me a piggyback ride. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah, I do love their budding bromance. Mm-hmm. The only thing I wrote down was I'm like, of course, leave it to the druggie to think someone is holding out on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get a scene of Michael trying to get a fish in the worst possible way. Yeah, what the fuck, Michael? <laughs> like, do you like that would be another great interview. Forget Clancy Brown. Harold Perrineau. I'd love to find out. Like, oh, he's given some interviews. Uh, he, they... was not, he was not happy with how he was treated on that show. And I do not blame him. I I I know when he was when he got killed off in season four he gave some, including calling the show racist, mm-hmm. um, and we've talked about that a little bit on other episodes. So I won't go into depth here, uh, especially being a, a white guy. Uh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like this is like an example of like just giving someone blocking, where it just feels like the prop or director was like, here's a fish and a knife, and it's like, okay, well shouldn't I you know do this on a rock? No no no, just sit there. And cut it with your hands. And it's like, I don't, okay. <laughs> like, I just, it really, like, I feel like if someone told me, it's like, oh, yeah, your character's going to do this. It's just like, this doesn't make any sense yeah, for Why anyone. would you do it this way? Sun tells him she thinks she can help Shannon's asthma. We have Saeed knocking out Sawyer, which is the second major head trauma of the season. They time up to a tree. Jack says it doesn't have to be this way. Sawyer says, yeah, it does. Sawyer says he doesn't think Saeed's tortured anyone. And as you mentioned before, Saeed gives that awesome line, unfortunately for us both, you're wrong. And he puts sharpened bamboo under his fingernails. A real torture tactic that uh, (sighs) seems to be just awful. It still makes me cringe. Saeed threatens to put out Sawyer's eye, and we absolutely believe him. And Sawyer says that he'll tell Kate where the medicine is. Uh, we had a very quick flashback where we find out Kylo tells Sawyer that he gave him $160,000, which means Sawyer skimmed $20,000 off the top. Perhaps he was giving car owners $5,000 to drive them off the lot. <laughs> or maybe maybe he just spent it. Or he's holding it in reserve to make more money. Back on the island, 
In the jungle, Sawyer tells Kate that he still wants a kiss. He calls it the Jungle of Mystery. Yet yet another nickname for the jungle. And it is a good kiss. I don't want to just say what I said the first time, but like it, we are in an era currently where not only are TV shows and movies downplaying, if not outright omitting sex scenes or overly sexual scenes, but we're in a place where a lot of people think that they're unnecessary. And I'm a person who firmly believes that seeing humans being sensual with each other is cool. And this kiss between Sawyer and Kate, it's a good kiss. It's believable. You believe that they have attraction to each other. First of all, it is much more than a kiss. (laughs) (laughs) I would argue the kiss is as graphic as the torture, Uh, but in in the opposite spectrum. (laughs) Because, yeah, you keep hearing this, he wants a kiss, he wants a kiss. And what they do is at least four very passionate, sensual, like, I want to use the word gobsmacked. That sounds <laughs> nastier than it is. But it is, uh, you know, and I, I get that we don't want to objectify people. Yeah, there's just so much in the modern era between, like, incels and, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get I get it. And I get that ultimately the kiss is not, the impetus for the kiss is not consensual. Yes. What they show, especially in this era. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm what? Yeah, there's so much politics. Here's what I will say. Well, you put that thought together. <laughs> what I will say is we have talked before about certain shots, certain scenes that feel exploitative. The, the one that comes to mind is that that shot of Kate, like stripping down to her underwear, like just yes. a quick shot of her in the in the pilot where that felt like you didn't need that in there. You put that in there to so that you can put it in a trailer and make people think there's, you know, TNA. I don't feel that this scene is exploitative. I feel that this scene, I mean, it's titillating, but it's part of the story. It very much shows not only is Sawyer willing to ask for this, who claims that this is all that he wants to give information away. But it shows you Kate's conflict. It shows you that as much as she despises things about Sawyer, there are things about him that she is attracted to. And the kiss is very revealing in that it starts off as something that she is obligated to do to help someone else, and then very much becomes... They're both enjoying this. And then what does that say about her? What does that say about him? What does that say about their relationship? So I think the kiss helps the story. And I I think the story is better for having it in there. Yes. Yes. And we will leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of the kiss, Sawyer tells her he doesn't have the medicine and she hits him. Saeed and Sawyer fight. The knife goes into his arm and the blood gush when it's pulled out looks good. It looks, and by good, I mean it looks bad. It looks like it hurts. It looks like he's going to die. It's ugh, it's gorier than I would have expected for a network primetime show. It's it's nasty. Yeah, and like that's a, you know I remember I, I've mentioned this before. I watched a lot of directors, producers writers commentaries on dvds and typically with things i didn't like 
to get a better understanding of what they were going for, which Netflix, if you're one of the five people who listen to this, um, <laughs> you know, offer those commentaries up as an audio track. I'll, yeah. I, I would listen to that. 100%. I, I still love that Carrot Top randomly does commentary for rules of attraction for no reason. Really? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, he, at one point he's like, oh, I bet you're all wondering what I'm doing in this booth. Um, oh, hey, what's going on in this movie? And then it's just, <laughs> he just, he never gives you an explanation. Anyway, I mentioned this because I remember watching the commentary for Hostel, of all movies, and um, they laugh because in a 10-second sequence, a guy loses two fingers and another guy gets his leg cut off. And they mentioned how, as far as generating horror goes, they're like, a lot of times people are much more queasy about these smaller things than they are about the big things. And they think that, I forget exactly how they phrase it, but they basically say something to the effect of how there's a form of psychology where a character being maimed doesn't mean they're dead in the water kind of thing. Whereas a character that is loses an arm or leg, you're like, oh, okay, so they're done. You almost consciously like you recognize that that character is out of the running, which is something that the Evil Dead reboot in 2013 did really well. I mentioned this because, yeah, the the knife going into Sawyer's arm still makes me like uh, clench and mm-hmm. like it. I, I've seen medical shows where, you know, suddenly someone wakes up and their chest is open. You know, like even seeing Jack's fingers, his mm-hmm. thumb and his index finger go into the arm. And he's he's like, oh, I'm he's literally holding on to the artery. I'm like, oh, God, it makes me feel dizzy. Yeah. Um, Major credit to the props, people. It looks so real and yeah. it's so uncomfortable. I hate it. I hate it so much. Later on, Boone wants a piece of Sawyer, but Shannon asks him to stay with her. It's a sweet moment. And gross. Uh, and gross, as we, as we, <laughs> as we discussed with the, what we know about their relationship in future episodes. Sun finds the plant that will help uh, Shannon. The Korean's not subtitled, and Michael says, don't, to Jin, which I enjoyed. Sawyer tells Jack if the tables were turned, he'd watch him die. I don't believe that. I believe that's posturing on Sawyer's part. No, it very much is like he 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 wants to suffer. He wants them to let him go. He's mm-hmm. like, I, I wanted to be tortured. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think he he really does feel that way. We get our last flashback. Sawyer sees that the couple has a kid, and he totally loses his nerve. He says the deal's off. He walks away. He even leaves the money. That look on Sawyer, like who has up until this point been the calm, cool, collected con man, suddenly becoming a little boy again. It's a powerful moment. I know I mentioned this before, but I do love how they ADR'd the child because they were just like, you never see his mouth move. He just stands there awkwardly. Just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, that's that could have been handled a little, little more gracefully. On the island, Sawyer wakes up. Kate's there. She said she reread the letter and saw the sticker on the back was for America's Bicentennial. Once again, showing Kate is a great detective. I would not have noticed that. Not in a million years would I have put together that it was an older sticker. I wrote down that Kate's a lot better at history than I am. She puts together that his name's not Sawyer. Sawyer says it was the name of the con man who seduced his mom. When he was 19, he turned a con job to pay a debt, like you do. 
And then he tells Kate not to feel sorry for him, and he takes the letter back. That that grab that he has, he looks so he looks so angry. He like the the pity on her face really is what gets to him. Which is funny that like of all the things that happened to Sawyer in this episode, she insults his manhood in the beginning. Um, everyone calls him a jerk. He gets punched by Jack. He gets tortured by Saeed. And through it all, he either insults them back or just laughs it off. But when Kate feels pity for him, that's when he actually gets pissed. Uh, he wants to be beaten. Yep. Sun makes a paste to help Shannon. Jack identifies that the plant is eucalyptus and thanks Sun. Charlie gives Claire pretend peanut butter. And she goes for it. It's cute. This Charlie guy, is a, he's a decent fellow. Saeed on the beach tells uh, Kate that he can't stay. He swore never to torture again, and he broke his promise. Kisses her hand and says he hopes they meet again. We get a musical montage to end the episode. Sawyer tries but can't burn his letter. And on the beach, you can see where Saeed walked on previous takes. <laughs> it's so clear that that's what that is. And you would think there'd be somebody on set whose job it was to clean up those footprints for a new take. <laughs> I had completely missed that. And uh, yeah, so but I, like, I remember like being like, oh, yeah, it does look like there's. There's some footprints in the distance there, but it's like, oh, yeah, no, clearly walked, walked back, walk, walk back. <laughs> yeah, it's directly his path. There is no one else around, and it goes only a little bit farther than we see him in the shot. It is absolutely what that is, and it's it's just so funny that, like, if I was watching this episode for the first time, I don't think I would have noticed, but because I'm always looking for background stuff like this, like, it's the first thing I saw, I was like... How many takes did you do this? It's just you're just walking away. How many how many takes do you need for that? <laughs> how cool would it have been if we didn't see Saeed for like half a season? Yeah, it would have been way more effective. I mean, I get it because like you know he's a cool character and and you want him to find the French woman immediately, but it feels like they set up this whole thing of like I'm gonna map the island. I'm gonna find out what's here and i'm gonna while while we have our other storylines going on on the beach we'll cut back to saeed you know every so often to be like oh what's this thing that he found like what's this thing that he found or like you said like he just disappears and we have like a flashback of him on the island but no it's the very next episode is what saeed does he goes well, like cause... half a day's walk up the beach and then comes back well, and I think we established that he might have been tortured for like multiple days but even then yeah. it feels like they kind of do what they could have done with Saeed with what they do for Michael in season two. He does go off. Now that we don't see him for half a season and then when he comes back, it's like, guys, I, the others, the, the primitives, the cavemen, the living in caves, let's go, let's get them. And then you get his flashback as he performs his only notable contribution. Poor Michael. Yeah. But I, I guess, but like, yeah, no, I think it would be so neat to see Saeed making headway. I guess it's neat to, I don't know. I, yeah, it was just making me think about it because I'm like, I think when we recorded the first time, I wasn't totally aware that Saeed's episode was next. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the fact that it is and he returns, it's like, oh, so that's done. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it does kind of feel like having the different writers, how it's like someone's like, oh, oh. And then at the end of my episode, I'm going to write him off into the distance. Then the next writer like, is like, well, I'm, I'm just going to bring him back. 
<laughs> it was like at the end of uh what is it season four of uh the west wing when like they put maybe leo could be the vice oh. president and then it's like yeah but no but that's not gonna happen no i mean it's even worse than that i mean i think the season four finale after they fired aaron sorkin because i did watch enough to see how they would resolve his daughter being abducted it's and... a fantastic ending to a season where the president temporarily resigns and the speaker of the house who is from an opposing party becomes the president and it's immediately undone in the uh-huh. very next episode it's and, infuriating and you don't even get i mean as far as i know i didn't finish the series but as far as i know they don't even do anything with with zoe as a character it's not like she's like yeah some really painful stuff or you know it's like nope just she's like that was really scary glad that's over <laughs> speaking of zoe and charlie charlie um i'm lost i did write this down because i i only saw it this time around i didn't pick up on this the most recent rewatch and then did this time the first scene between claire and charlie when he's trying to say like hey you know we have a doctor at the caves in case you you know give birth blah 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 mm-hmm. and she's like no i've got my hat and i'm doing fine and um <laughs> Doing fine, Charlie. <laughs> Five dollars an hour. The <laughs> uh, uh, I just bad friend. Uh, but yeah, she, you know, she makes a comment where she's like, "Well, I want to be here when we get rescued." Mm-hmm. And uh, Charlie then has this line of, "He's like, right, when we get rescued." And I think, based off of how he gives that line, more like to the camera almost than to Claire. That I get the impression that it is eating him up, that she doesn't know that what the people on the inside know, which is, hey, a French woman's been playing a transmission for 16 years, didn't get rescued. That's a good point. I, I think it's cute, um, just in terms of their relationship. Because I, I also really like the peanut butter thing. I think, and I also think Dominic Monaghan fucking sells it. Yeah, he does. His blocking in that is great. His... Uh... <laughs> I think we talked about this in the Claire episode where it seems like they actually walk back their relationship a little bit yeah. because this is a very cute, it feels like the cute start of something, not necessarily a relationship, but they're close. Kind of like how Jack and Kate, they're not together, but there's something there and they both know that there's something there. And especially after seeing what Charlie's gone through in the previous episode, you get the sense that he is, coming back to himself, he's recovering, he wants to be a better person, and he likes Claire. Now, anybody in recovery will tell you that the absolute worst thing that you can do when you're getting sober is to immediately jump into a relationship. But they are trapped on an island in the middle of nowhere. Give them a break. 